Are you here to hear and receive the word of the Lord? I know I've asked it and I ask it every time, but that's why we come to the house of the Lord. We want to receive His word. We want to grow. Uh, we want to grow in grace. We want to grow in His word. And we want to grow in faith. And I want to continue today on what I started last week. For those who wasn't here last week, I highly recommend you go to YouTube. Uh, look at Maranatha Christian Fellowship Australia. Put that in and you will come out to our videos. And watch that one, because this is a follow-up on that. And most probably, we will go into another one next week, and maybe the one after. Because last week, we started talking about the law. The law, and you remember what I said, that everybody is under law. If you're in Australia, if you're in Victoria, we're under the Victorian law. You can't just do what you want to do, otherwise it's lawless. And I don't want lawlessness going on, you don't want it. Because the law brings peace, whether you like it or not. Now, different countries have got different lawgivers, which you can disagree with. But generally speaking, you want there to be rules and regulations around traffic. You know, you, you come to a traffic intersection, and if the light says red, it doesn't mean go. If everybody goes on red, then you have a big mess. So this is the law. But then we also spoke about the law of God which is the more important law that you and I need to understand. Now, one of the things I said last week is, you know, people would say, once you start preaching about the law, which is the Ten Commandments, plus over 600 other laws in the Bible, they want to say that you're a legalist. Isn't that right? You're a legalist. But uh, be safe this morning, you're not an illegalist church, okay? You're in a church where I believe where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Amen. The freedom in the Spirit of God. But we need to know the law. We need to know the law. We need to understand the law. And I want to talk to you today about a scripture verse that we sort of ended on last week. And the theme for today is, the law is not for the righteous. And last week I asked the church, will all the righteous put up their hands? And only a few people put up their hands. And I thought, okay, before I can go further, I need to preach on righteousness. Because you need to understand what it is. Now, can I just ask quickly, just as a show, if you're shy, that's fine, keep your hands down if you're shy. But can all the righteous people please put up their hands? Okay, there's a few hands this week, because you now see where I'm going with it. <laughs> but let's unpack it, and let's do that. But remember what I said, you know, the purpose of the law is not to make you feel guilty. It's not to make you feel guilty. The purpose of the law. And you remember last week what I said about guilt. When people feel guilty, they focus on themselves. And they may have tears. But it's tears of being caught out. It's tears of feeling sorry. No, no. The purpose of the law and the purpose of the preaching of the law in the next few weeks, if the Lord will, is not to make you feel guilty, but it is to convict you. Because conviction is different than guilt. Yes, guilt will drive you, but you need to come to conviction. Because conviction focuses on God. And conviction focuses on God's standard. And God do have a standard. He's not a lawless God. God has got a standard and He set the standard out for us to see. And that standard that He set out is His law. 
And you see, this is what it is all about. It is to convict you and then to demonstrate, demonstrate the amazing grace. Who, who believes in the amazing grace of Christ? And this is what he does. He demonstrates that grace which was bestowed upon you through the cross of Calvary. And somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was really tame. <laughs> Is that how you feel when you realize that the cross saved your soul? I want to say hallelujah. <laughs> was that too loud for you? No. But brothers and sisters, this is the good news. We don't come to somebody and say, I want to give you some good news. Good news brings inside of you that joy. It's not a happiness. Happiness disappears like mist before the sun. But joy lasts forever. The joy of the cross is my joy. And this is what the Lord do. Now just a few things about the law. It was given specifically to Israel. Specifically. If you read your Bible and you open up and you go through that, you will see that the Lord didn't give that law to the Gentiles of the day. He gave it to a nation whom He chosen. And the question is why? So that the Gentiles and the people around can see how a sinful people can approach a holy God. So He chose this nation. And here we have in our hands the account of that nation. Is that right? You open up in the Old Testament and you read about Israel. Israel, I like to say it sometimes. Uh, you use your own, your own method. But it is so beautiful and wonderful how God deals with those people. And how He deals with them is an indication to us how He will deal with you and with me. But now Israel is looking upon us. They are looking upon us. Why? Because they rejected Him. He came for His own first, and then for the Gentiles. And how privileged are you sitting here this morning to think that they look upon us to see this grace and salvation. So it was given, we see, for Israel specifically. And it was made up out of three parts. The Ten Commandments, and then there's the ordinances, and then there's the worship system. And the reason why I want to outline it for you like that is because some people believe that when he came and he says he fulfilled the law, that he only fulfilled these two parts of it, the ordinances and the worship system, so that we still have to live under, under the Ten Commandments. This is what we call faith plus works. This is what we call legalism. And it manifests itself in so many different ways in churches these days under heavy shepherding, under overly control, where you have super pastors who's got the control of the church. I don't want the control of the church. I'm just mere here as a servant of Him, a mouthpiece of Him, telling you what, what we need to grow and equipping you to become perfect before Him for the work of Him. That's all I'm doing. And this is the danger thereof. If you, if you only take certain parts of the law, then you are teaching a different gospel. Now, I'm not asking you that. I'm telling you that because I'm seeing that today. So the law is really important. But the purpose of the law is it reveals God's holy character. 
If you read the law, if you go in and buy, like I say, there's more than 10 commands and there's over 600, I think 613 and so on, of these laws and rules and regulations. If you want to obey, don't only obey one of them, obey all of them. And it is a task which even the best Pharisees couldn't do. So be my guest and all the best to you. But this is the fact. It, it shows God's holy character. Who knows that we are serving a holy God? He's not your friend. He, you're not part of his posse. You're not part of his inside group. He's not JC's in the house. He's a holy God. He is the God whom we serve. In reverence and in fear. That's the God who we serve. And this holy God comes to us. He comes to us. We, you see, so many times I see these days people try to pull Him down to us. You can't pull the God down. He comes to you. There's a difference in trying to pull Him down and Him coming. When He comes to you, He comes with all and in all of His holiness. Amen. And you see, whenever I open up the Bible and I see men, when He came down to them, they fall down as dead men and people. It is those who try to pull him down to them with their wiles and stuff, which makes it cheap these days. He is a holy God, and we need to remember that. So, if he is so holy and he comes to us, how are we ought to react? And that is the purpose of the law. He standard. You see, he set Israel apart from all the other nations. And we need to learn from that because he sets the child of God apart from the world. Now it doesn't mean we go and live on a small little island. I tried it when I moved to New Zealand. God's own. God's zone. <laughs> but what do you find on those islands? God's zone. The enemy is already infiltrated. You can't separate yourself from the world. The Bible says that we are in the world but not of the world. Not of the world. And, and here we need to understand, when he set Israel apart, we learn from that. Now, I just want to make a disclaimer right now for those who, who hear me online and those who are going to hear me and say, I do not believe that we have replaced Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. Amen. We are grafted into Israel. The benefits we are getting is through Israel. This is, this is the truth of the Bible. Now, now this is what I say is he set it apart. And then, and then it's to reveal the sinfulness of man. And this is what I believe the Lord laid upon my heart to preach in the next few weeks. Is the sinfulness of man. You see, I wanted to get into Peter. You know that. And we are going to get into Peter and preach through verse by verse. But what is the Lord doing? You see, these days we find a really cheap salvation. Going around. You just come out. And, I, and I'm going to put so much pressure on you to come out. And we pray a two minute prayer. And then I am going to declare to you now you are born again. Go and do your thing. That's what's happening. But that my dear friend is not true. You see we need to understand how sinful we are to know that we need a savior. We need to come to the point and realize that I am not a good person. That I think I am. You see, the Bible says, all of my best works is like filthy rags. 
and it's thrown out. All of my best efforts. You talk to so many people, you know, I'm doing a a little bit on the street these days, and, and, you know, Sean and the guys would know, and Philip will know, if you go into the people, every person you talk to, you say to them, and Danny would know, are you a good person? Oh, of course I'm a good person. But what is the measurement to let them know that they are not a good person? It is God's standard. It's God's standard. You need to know and understand that you fall short of the glory of God. Every single person who sits in this place fell short of the glory of God. You were born that way. David writes this in the Psalms. He says, I, as soon as I was born, I went going astray speaking lies. You look at that little baby and you go, oh, look at that little beautiful thing. How can a baby speak lies? You just wait and see. (laughs) That nature of that baby is born in a sinful nature. And here it is, brothers and sisters, that they need to come to a point. They need to meet a standard, which is a standard they can't reach in themselves. And then the law is to give forgiveness. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, it was to cover their sins through sacrifices. The, the animals, they had to come in and lay their hand on a scapegoat and say, that, that guilt of mine, that sin is going on that animal. The priest would take the animal and kill the animal. The blood were all came together. The blood was sprinkled. You, you know the ordinances. But that covered their sins. Until next time. Until next time. And I'm so grateful to our Lord and Heavenly Father that that stopped. Have you, can you imagine if that went on? I wouldn't have been able to stand here. But what if? What if a Jewish priest had to stand where I'm standing today? You and I had to bring sheep today to this place. Meh. And we bring them right through here out to the back and it gets killed down there. And we come back with the blood. That is not what it is in for. But that's how it ought to be. And the purpose is to give way to worship God and His feast. Now, like I said last week when I went through and I spoke to you about the key of knowledge, you remember? Uh, when Jesus turned to the lawyers, to the lawyers, He said to them, For you have taken away, everybody say taken away. Taken away. They've taken something away from the people, the lawyers. They've taken away what? The key of knowledge. They've taken away the key of knowledge. They said to them, you did not enter yourselves, and none will they, because they haven't got a realization of their sin. And those who were entering, you hindered. And you remember last week we said that this key of knowledge is the law of God, the Ten Commandments. He said to the lawyers, you ought to teach the people the Ten Commandments, but you didn't do that. You didn't do that. So let it not be said of us. As children of God. Let us understand that the Bible is still made out of Exodus. When God gave those commandments. And he said you've taken it away. And and last week we ended to this verse. When we came to this part. And a lot of people have got a lot of issues with this. He said to Timothy Paul. He said to them. But we know. What do we know? What do we know? He says that the law is good. Everybody say good. good. The law is good. God's law is good. If one uses it lawfully, if you use the law lawfully, it is good. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person. But for whom? The lawless and the... And then he goes on, we will get to that verse a little bit later on. 
And it's at this point when I said that all the righteous people put up their hands and only a few did. You need to understand there's two kinds of people in the world. Only two. Not South African, Kiwi, Australian, Indian, and you go through the list, Mauritian or anything like this. Or, you know, it's none of those. There are sons of obedience and sons of disobedience. And sitting in this room today, you are either one of the two. You're a child of obedience, saved by the blood of the Lamb at the cross, or you're a son of disobedience. You say to me, but is there still sons of disobedience in the church? Of course there are. There are sons of disobedience sitting in churches today. You are the one, and the Spirit of God is to determine that. But you see, this is where it comes to the point where if he says this, the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawless. There's people who will hear my voice, who will sit one day or stand before the white throne judgment, and he will say, you was going to church all your life, but you were lawless. You were lawless. Now, before you think I'm doing a guilty preach sermon here, that's not. Remember what I said, the law convicts. There's two judgment seats. One is the Bema seat of Christ, where all the righteous will appear. And then there's the white throne judgment. And then when we came to Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Man, that walking in the spirit has so many people has got so difficulty understanding it. I remember in New Zealand at the church there um, that we passed it, there was one man there who nearly went off his mind. He started getting mental issues about this verse. He started breaking up his relationship with his wife, his children, his friends. He started not coming to church. I went out to see him. We sat down and he said to me, I just can't live this verse. It bothers me every single day. I wake up and I want to walk in the spirit. He says, but, but joy is gone. He can't even enjoy his family. He can't enjoy his children. He can't enjoy his friends. He can't go to work. He can't have a good laugh, you know, a good funny laugh. He can't have any of that. Because he came to the point where he said to me in his words, he feels that he wants to make a small little whip. whip. And he was sitting in our church. He said, I want to make a small little whip and start hitting myself. Why? To humble myself to walk in the Spirit. Do you understand what it means to walk in the Spirit? You see, these are concepts we talk about, but we need to understand to live this life. Now I want to talk to you just today, just about this passage here. I want to explain to you what it means that the law is not made for the righteous. And to do that, I want to put it into context. So we go back to verse 3. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. And as you know me, I'm just going to do exposition as I go through these verse, verses. He says there in verse 3, he says, As I urged you, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless gene genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So, Paul says to Timothy, which he says to us today, he says, teach no other doctrine. Doctrine is a code of belief. It's what you believe in. 
That is what doctrine means. And we need to understand what it is. And, and then we need to come to the point and we need to... And, and that is our way of life. I'm just trying to get it back. That's our way of life, doctrine. But you see, the first word here, when we talk about this, is the word fable. He says, do not teach any other doctrine, now give heed to fables. Who knows what is a fable? It's a story. It's a fabricated story. The, the Greek word that is used here is mythos. It's a myth. Now, it is true that in churches people are preaching myths. It is thought up in their minds. And the big thing is, if I start teaching you a myth, and I just get one or two people to believe me, we've got a movement. And if you've got a few people following you, more people adding in. And never test it, never test it to the whole truth, which is the Word of God. And that is the challenge here. How am I going to see what is myths and what is not myths? Kevin, can you just go around? I think the, the power plug is out in the back. So that is what it is. You know, what is a myth? What is the stories that people are preaching? This is why we need to be like the Bereans. And we need to test everything to the Word of God. The second word that I want to lay your attention on, he says, don't give heed to fables, these myths, or endless genealogies. These endless, endless genealogies takes historic and it symbolizes it. Historical facts and it symbolizes it. This is like names and dates and places. And they supposedly have got hidden message in there. Now, I must say to you, if you go through the Bible and it's a good thing to do, is to take all the words like Brother Murray done. Go back to the Hebrew. Go back to the Greek. And you look at some of these names. You can find that there is a great meaning behind the names. But one thing that I've found in all of the years that I've studied the Bible is that all of those meanings go straight to the Word of God and to the cross. It talks about the cross of Christ. So here we find it. It takes history and they symbolize it. And they say, oh, there's hidden meanings in the Bible. Have you heard some people who are trying to decode the Bible? You know, they're trying to look for these codes and everything. And they write books about it. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong. Because I'm not as clever as they are. But there's one thing about it. When I open up the Bible and I thank the Lord for an English translation, I read it in plain English. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and He teaches me. And if He wants to open something and reveal something to me, I don't need codes. I don't need hidden meanings and stuff. He gives it to me straight. And that is so wonderful and powerful. Now, now this is what Paul comes. He warns Timothy against these false teachers. And you see, doctrine is important to God. And it should be important to His people. Your doctrine. The things that you teach and that you hear. Today, we see that what one believes is remarkably unimportant to a lot of people. To a lot of people, you know, you just turn on YouTube and you listen to some people and, and there's a following. Uh, and, and I again say, you know, people come to me and they say, oh, this preacher said that. And have you heard what this preacher said? And they quote the preachers. I don't want to quote preachers. I want to quote Jesus Christ. What did he say? You know, and again, you know, I, I refer back to New Zealand. There was a man there who came to the church 
And uh, every time I came to him, he just told me what Benny Hinn said and what Joyce Meyer said. Every single time I came in there, he came to me and he says, Wow, man, this morning, Joyce Meyer said this, and he would go on. And then he would come to me and he would write on a piece of paper what Benny Hinn had said. And, and you know, he goes on about these people, and I, I won't, uh, you know, go further into them, but you know how I feel about that. But I one day asked him straight up, I said, Look, Bill, it's all good. But what did Jesus say to you this morning? He said, what do you mean? I said, no, no, you tell me what all these people, that's second-hand information. That's old bread. I want fresh bread. What did Jesus tell you? What in your time did you sit at Jesus' feet and what did he tell you? Well, this man's whole life was changed by those words. Who would have thought? He went in for an operation and I was privileged to be there when he came out and recovered. And as he came out and dazed and everything, he was, he, he was there and, and the nurse said, you know, this man is a Bible. Because every word that came out of his mouth was, that says the Lord. And then he quotes a Bible verse. And then he says, that says the Lord. And he quotes another Bible verse. You see, brothers and sisters, let us not hang on to people and to what they believe, but what we believe. The spirit of the modern day age has also heavily influenced modern Christians. Modern Christians. The truth is important to God. And it should be true and important to His children. Is it important to you? Is it important to us? So, this is how we start. He goes into them and says, watch out for these false teachers, these false apostles. They will come with fables. They're going to waste your time. And then he says in verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment, everybody say purpose. purpose. Uh, the purpose of the commandment, the purpose of the law is what? Love. love. The purpose of the law is love. We need to understand this. You get so many people, once they become legalistic, the first casualty is love. It's my rules. It's my regulations. You see this in families. You see it when fathers are, are overly into law in their families. Their children are afraid of them. Their wives are afraid of them. You see it even when wives become so legalistic and so on. The love goes out the back door once that comes through the front door. And this is so important for us to understand. The purpose of the commandment, Timothy, is love. But he brings it from three places. He says, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. It comes from those places. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. To idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding nothing. What they say, nor the things which they affirm. This is why I believe the Lord laid upon my heart to talk to our church about the law. And in the coming weeks I'm going to go, I said to you, we're going to go to the Ten Commandments and I will show you that Jesus Christ fulfilled each and every one of the Ten Commandments and the rest. He fulfilled them all. But here, he says here, the purpose of the commandment is love. Now when he says purpose there, that word purpose there, it comes from the Greek word telos. And that means the end of something. It, it means it comes to a conclusion. He says the conclusion of the law. The law came to an end and that is love. It is a wonderful if you understand and you go into the Greek side of it. He says the end of this law comes from 
a love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, if you have a pure heart, it is against harsh judgmentalism. That's what it's against. A pureness of a heart. That's against harshness. A good conscience is against feeling condemned. How many people are sitting, and I'm, I'm by far, I pray the Lord that you don't sit here this morning and feel overly condemned. If you do, I thank the Lord the Holy Spirit is working in your life. I thank the Lord for that. Then you need to hear that. The only way that you're going to come to that place is when you confess. And then sincere faith is where you trust in your own abilities to please God. That's the opposite of sincere faith. And this is where it comes in. It says, when we come to the law, the end of the law is love. And you remember when Jesus, when, when, this, um, when this lawyer came to Jesus and he said to him, what is the most important law in the Bible? What did Jesus say? Did he say, observe the Sabbath or stop eating this food or doing that? Did he say any of that? He says, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and... He says, this is the greatest law, this one. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two hang the law and the prophets. He says, on these two hang the law and the prophets. Now, now I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to bring it to an end now. Because remember, we're working towards that verse which says that the law is not for the righteous. And he started off in context to say... To lay the foundation for Timothy to say, the purpose of the commandment is love. That's the purpose. From a, a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. The righteous, the righteous will have these three things. The righteous will have a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. You sit here this morning and you say, but preacher, you don't know me at all. And I don't. And you say, it doesn't feel like that. But you see, it's not your works that matters, it's what he has done. Now he says there in 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, he says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He uses it lawfully. Now what does this mean when he says when one uses it lawfully? The law is good. It means the purpose of the law is to show us our sin, not to lead uh, and not to lead us to righteousness. So, so the law in itself couldn't bring you to righteousness, but it could show you your sin. That's what the law is doing. That's the purpose. And if you're going to use the law, like the brothers are doing it on the street. I mean, Phil and the brothers law walk out on the street and what do we do? We talk to somebody and we say, are you a good person? And they would generally say yes. And you say the next question is, have you ever told a lie in your life? Let me see. Is there people in this place who's ever told a lie in their life? I'm one. So what does the law say? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Yes. They say, no, I haven't told a lie. Well, you just told a lie because you're telling lies. <laughs> have you ever steal something? Have you ever stolen something? And then what do people say? No, I haven't. They're telling a lie again. But you see, what is this? Because the, 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 the law said, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. And here we go. So what does the law do? The law showed you that you are a sinner, but it never brought you to righteousness. 
There's only one act in history that can bring you to righteousness. And that's what Brother Murray preached about today. So this is what it is. He says, if you use the law to bring people to an understanding of their sin, that is using it lawfully. And, and, and remember, Paul used the law. Do you remember? In Acts chapter 28, verse 23, it says that they brought these people to him in that house which he was renting. And then it says there that he was persuading men concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So, so Paul used the law lawfully. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he says, Therefore the law was our tutor and bringing us to Christ. So that's all the law do. It's our tutor. It's a teacher. And it brings us to Christ. That we may be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We are what? Come on church, say it. We are, not, we are what? One more time. We are? Is there a no in that sentence? We are no longer. We are no longer under a tutor. But yet there are still people who want to sit under the tutor. And God bless your heart if you want to sit under the tutor. Because one day you are going to graduate and you're going to say you were all right all the time. Not me. Jesus was all right all the time. Paul, you were right all the time. You know, with the grain of encouragement I'm going through Galatians verse by verse. And I'm actually in chapter 5 now. But here it's showing us that the tutor, the law, when it's used lawfully, brings you to Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come. Everybody say the word after. after. What does after mean? Like well it means after. <laughs> after faith has come what happens? You are moving. You are graduating now. You are graduating out under the tutor. And now you are operating by faith. This is so, look, I, I want to honestly say to you, brothers and sisters, if you grasp this, I see so many people sitting in churches still with the bondage upon them. They just can't break free. And I pray the Lord you will see this and understand what the Holy Spirit is showing you here today, that if you come into faith of Christ, you, you are moved out under the law. You don't have to sit there with a piece of paper or put it onto your wall and to go, I need to see that now. The Jews, the Orthodox Jews are doing it today. At the front door, there is a little box there. And in the box is the Ten Commandments. And when they go out in the morning to go to work, they touch the box. Is that still so, Adela, in some, some Jewish places? Yep, they go out and they touch the little box. Because they, they're still under the law. I'm going to break the law. And you know what it does for people? It puts fear in your heart. It puts fear in your heart and to go, Oh, Lord, I'm, what about next week if I break one of those laws, then I go straight to hell. But wait a minute, you are saved by the grace of Christ. Some of them walk with a little black box on their front heads. Is that right, Adela? Well, it's called a... That's it. It's a little black box. And they walk and they strap it around their heads. And what's in that box? The law. Because the Bible says it's got to be on your front page, in front of your eyes, and written on your hands. I had a man once, once, I went and did home visit, and he, it's a South African man, and he writes TG in his palm every day. Every day. Ten geboye, ten commandments. 
And he would say, I would go to work. And then when I have a moment, he would look at his hand, TG, Ten Commandments. No, no. No, no, you're still under a yoke. You're still under bondage. You're still trying very hard. And guess what? You are failing every single day. Every moment you are failing. You need to come to the point where you wash your hand and you say, Lord, please write it on the tablets of my heart. Jesus Christ. And this is the problem for some people. You see, the law was our tutor. It's our teacher. And the law brings us to Christ. The law shows me that I'm not good enough. And this is what Paul used as well. And now he comes to Timothy and he says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. If you are righteous here this morning, it's not made for you. But the law is still there. Yes, it's still there. Do you still abide by the law? Of course you still abide by the law. One of the laws is thou shalt not murder. You cannot kill somebody. Does that mean that you, if you're a righteous person that you can go out and kill anybody? What will happen? You will be guilty. You will be thrown in jail. But why don't you do it? Because of love. That is it. It comes back. He says the end of the law is what? Love. Now I'm giving you this illustration. And I know Sharia is already in her 20s and she's already big. But when she was younger I always said to her, you need to do the dishes. This is my law in the house, Michael. I am the father of the house. And the father of the house says, thou shalt do the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah? That's a law. And I said, the father of the house says, at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, dishes is done. That's not South African accent, by the way. It's just funny. But that's the law. So she would go there. And look out and go, yep, that's the clock. Five minutes to five, let's quickly do the dishwasher. Why? Because it's the law. And what's going to happen? If dad walks into the house and it's not done, she's broken the law. And what, well, what do we know if you break the law? There is consequences. There's penalty. So why did she do the dishes? Because she don't want to break the law. She don't want the consequences. And you know what? It is so hard work for me as the father. Because I'm walking in there and I'm expecting something at 5 o'clock. What do I expect? The dishes is done. So I'm walking there with my law hat on and I go, ah, first thing I'm going to see is if the dishes is done. It's hard work on both sides. I need to keep her in check and she needs to do what I expect from her. And that's law. It's hard work. And she breaks the law and then I punish her. And so I'm going to take away your iPad. Okay, let's not talk about younger children. No, don't take it away. It's, it's a big thing. But what do I want? I don't want it to do that because of law. I want it to do it because of love. Now we change the situation. Now we've got a, a child who goes, I love my parents. I just love them. It's my parents. They've given to me life. Through them I got life. They sacrifice so much for me. So not only what they do, it's because they are my parents. And I love them. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the dishes. Not because anybody asked me to do it. It's because I love them. Now, because that happens, all these things about 5 p.m. goes out the window. 
Because now because I love them, if I see these dirty dishes, what do I do? I just do them because I love them. Can you see now that the law is still there? I still expect it to be happening at 5 p.m. But because there's love, 5 p.m. don't drive me anymore. I don't have to walk in now and have a first look there because why? I know that this child loves me and this child is doing it. So I'm not putting that down upon them anymore. It's still there, but they're not under it anymore. They are working with it. And that's the righteous child of God. God's law is still there for you. You still can't go out and lie as a child of God. And let me say, by the way, white lies don't count. A lie is a lie. Half lies don't count. A lie is a lie. And this is so important for us to understand. It is still there. But now we are working alongside it. I am not going to lie because I love God. And I know that one of His laws is not lying. I'm going to do it because I love Him. I'm not going to steal because I love God. I'm not going to murder somebody because I love God. And this is where these legalists come out and they say, Oh, all you want to do is you want to give people license to sin. That is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. If you are really born again, if you are a righteous person, you will uphold the law. But it won't become a regulation to you. It will become an act of love to you. I do it because I love you, Lord. I love people because you love me, Lord. You see, this is the difference between observing the law and being under the law. But there's two kinds of people. There's these people, the lawless. The, and so you need to put laws in place for all of these people. The profane, the murderers, the manslayers, the fornicators, the sodomites. Although the laws are now getting so washed down for the fornicators. Let me just say, God's law has never changed. There's not, you know, we're not going to vote upon God's law. God has not changed. If fornicator is still a fornicator for God. If you have a relationship outside of marriage, you know what I'm talking about? It is still fornication in God's books. And you're still guilty of that. Sodomites, where is that one? God hasn't changed. Marriage is still a man and a woman. God hasn't changed. It's not as if he called the angels up one day and they say, what do you say, angels? Let's have a vote. Do you think, you know, look at these people in the world. This is now what the, the society wants. The, the people influence wants this. Hey, angels, come here. You know, we need to change now because, see, the people has changed. Let's have a vote. How many of you angels think that marriage is not between a man and a woman? There we voted. No, no. God is sovereign. And His law stands forever. And then he continues on. He says, there's no other thing contrary sound according to the glorious gospel. Um, and, 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 you know, it is so powerful when you understand this, that we are working alongside God's law and not under the law. Now let me ask this question and we're finishing up. How do one then become righteous? He says, the law is not for the righteous. For those who are righteous. How do you become righteous then? Well it's through an exchange. Through an exchange. That's how you become righteous. We know what it's called. It's been born again. But I want you to listen now clearly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. We see this exchange. He says for he made him. Everybody say him. Amen. Who's that? 
Jesus Christ. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Who becomes the righteousness? We become the righteousness. Who? We become the righteousness. So who had to become sin so that we can? Jesus Christ. Now I know there's a lot of debate about this verse and people may have their views on this. But the question here is, when he talks about to make, this is by the way one of the most important verses in your Bible according to what I believe. You need to underline this by this verse and know it off by heart. To be sin. We made him to be sin. Now there are these, if we look at this, and like I said, there's a lot of debate about it. There are those who say to be sin, we say that he became sin. He became sin. He became totally sin. I don't hold that view because he is a sinless God. There's no place. If he had to become sin, then there must be a time that he was not God at all. Because in God there is no darkness at all. In him is light. And not only for five minutes did he become totally not God. He was God with us all the time. And then there are those who say he became a sinner. You know, when he was there, what does it mean? He became a sinner at that point in time. Which also is not right because there's so many scripture verses in the Bible that I can quote you. Which says that he was not. He, he didn't become a sinner. There was no sin found in him. And then there's those who say he was a sinner. You know, he didn't become one, but he was all along a sinner. And then I go to Pilate, which looked at this man and said, I can find no fault in him. But I don't go on Pilate's account that there was no, he wasn't a sinner. I go on through the Bible. So if he didn't become sin, if he didn't become a sinner, and he wasn't a sinner, what does it mean then when he says that he who knew no sin to be sin for us? Well, I, I believe actually it is the imputation. It's a matter of imputation. Please don't be deceived about this. And honestly, I don't know whether you've been taught this or what. And, and God bless you out if you want to hold on what you've been taught to. But I want to preach to you what I believe is the word of God. Because he can't become a sinner and for a moment put the throne, you know, his godliness aside. No, no. I believe imputation came upon this place and this time. And what does it mean? It means to lay the responsibility or the blame falsely and unjustly on an innocent person. That's what imputation means. And this is what happened in this verse. And brothers and sisters, you need to get so excited about this. Because what this means, it means that in the court of courts, standing before the King of Kings and the Creator of the universe, this plays out for you if you are a righteous person today. That your guilt, and not only your guilt, all of the guilt from the beginning of the world, all of the sins from the vilest sinner... Up until today, this next few seconds that's going to happen, all of that sin was the responsibility of the sin, the penalty of the sin, all was placed upon Him. On Him. He had no sin in Himself, but for our sin was imputed to Him. How is your sin? Think about the vilest thing that you've done. You can't even come and stand in front of the whole church and tell us what you've done because you are so ashamed of what you've done. That particular thing was imputed upon him and he suffered. He took the just penalty 
for that sin that you deserved. This is what it means. Don't get caught up with he became. I've heard a man say, I've heard a man say, he said he became the vilest sinner. That's nonsense. I don't believe that. Because the Bible says in him is no sin at all. And the Bible doesn't contradict itself. But the penalty thereof came upon him. At the same time, listen to me now. He took that sin upon him. It was imputed upon him. But then in the same time, in that verse, there's two sides of the coin. At the same time, through faith, Christ's righteousness was imputed upon me. And somebody shout hallelujah. If that doesn't give you freedom, I don't know what's going to give you freedom. Do you understand that sitting here today, you've done nothing, but you are walking in Christ's righteousness. Do you understand sitting here today, that the penalty that you had to take, He went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and He drank that cup of wrath, which was meant for you and for me. And still people want to preach fluff and not come to the real essence of your faith. If you understand this, your Christian walk should be joy, joy, joy evermore. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Why? Because I am walking around in His righteousness. (coughs) It was imputed upon me. Now we can stand before God sinless Just, listen to me, as Jesus. Oh, that's not me. Then you're going back under the law. Just as Jesus is sinless before Him. We are not righteous in ourselves, brothers and sisters. Rather, Christ's righteousness is applied to us. It is applied to us. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. How does it get applied? In, he says it here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is a way of life. It's your, it's your lifestyle that you live. And He says it right there. He says this He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Who's doing that? He. He. You know, if I read this verse, if if we confess our sin, John is faithful to and just to forgive him his sin. I can't. He has to do it. I come back to this verse. The imputation of your sin, the guilt of your sin was laid upon him. And then his righteousness was brought upon us. And he was given us his righteousness. You see, when we look at this word cleanse here, when he says, and he cleanses us from our sin, it means to be free from defilement of sin. Free from faults. It's to purify from wickedness. It's to free from guilt of sin and to purify and to pronounce, like in the Levitical sense, to pronounce somebody clean. This is what He's done for us. This is what He's done for you. And this is what He's done for me. It is so powerful and it is so wonderful. I was praying this morning in there and uh, there's a verse that I just want to read to you. When we prayed in there, it just came to my mind. It's in Jeremiah 
Because you say, where does this righteousness come from? You know, we've got, this, we've got this notion in our minds that I've got this new rope of righteousness on and now it can get stains on it and it can get defiled and, you know, what we do is going to... No, no, it's His righteousness. Be with me now, will you? Just give me another few minutes. It's His righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? Yours? Your righteousness got defiled when you were born. Yeah? And all of the things that you've done defiled your righteousness. That's why you can't stand righteous before Him. Now He comes in and He says, I'm imputing to you, I'm giving you Christ's righteousness. And nothing can defile Christ's righteousness. <laughs> I need, you need to hear this. And this is going to save you from this worry about tomorrow. If I sin two months from now and there's this big stain on my righteousness. It's no longer your righteousness. It's His righteousness. And you've already been forgiven for that. I, I, I have been saved. I am saved. And I will be saved. And, and look at this now. Look at this. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 6. He says in, in His days Judah will be saved. Praise the Lord for that. That's a reference to, to Israel. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is His name by which He will be called. Guess what? The Lord our God, our righteousness. Our righteousness. Now here is the thing. When He cleanses us, He takes all of that defilement. He imputes His righteousness on us. And that stays pure. And now, let me finish with this verse. Two verses and then we can go and drink coffee. Isaiah 61 verse 10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall live how? Everybody say that. My soul shall live joyfully. How is it then that you get Christians and they are saved? And now we know we walk in His righteousness and they go, oh, Life is so tough. No, life is tough. I get that. But we need to be joyful. He says, my soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has what? Amen. Read this with me, church. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. How did he do that? The gospel. Isn't it? Where did you get the garment of salvation? At the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart turned away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Where do you get your, your garment of salvation? When He saves your soul. Isn't that right? That's not what stops there. He says, He has, come on everybody, with the, He has what? With whose righteousness? Wow. Can you now go back to that verse when he says, The law is not for the Why? Because Christ is not under the law. Hallelujah. It's his righteousness who's now in us. Look at this now. As a bridegroom takes himself homeless, as the bride adorns herself with the jewels. But here we go. It's the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. Uh, in Romans. Roman, and by the way, let me just put this out for you. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, yeah, 2 verse 4, he says, The just shall live by faith. The just, everybody listen. 
The just shall live by faith. Not by works, not by anything. The just shall live by faith. Now, if you look at the books that Paul writes, these three books that he takes, that the just shall live by faith. And he writes three letters about it. Romans, the just. And what does Romans do? Romans tells you that you came out under the law and you're working with the law. The just. That is what I've been preaching to you. The righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. The rope of righteousness you are walking around with. The just. The whole book of Romans. You study the whole book. And he goes about the law and the free man. Go and read it. And then Paul writes the second book. Which is it? Galatians. Galatians is, the first one is the just shall live. The whole book of Galatians is do not live under the law anymore, but come into the freedom of Christ. The whole book, he writes it. And then the third book, which I personally believe Paul also wrote, is the book of Hebrews. I believe that you can differ, that by, by all means, it's not going to take your salvation away. But let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews says the just Romans shall live Galatians by faith. What is the whole book of, of, of Hebrews? A faith. It's not faith in Hebrews, in the temple, in the ordinances, in the angels, and anything. It's faith in who? In Christ. Wow! And here we go. He writes Romans, the just. But now, the righteousness of God. Everybody say the righteousness of God. I showed you where it comes from. It's, it's imputed upon us. It's given to us when our sins was imputed on Him. The righteousness of God apart from. Everybody say apart from. Now, bless their hearts, but I won't name the church. But anyway, there's a group of people out there who believe that this word apart in the English means it is righteousness and faith together. Works plus, that's not. If you go into the Greek, apart means the end of the law. It means apart from the law. At the end of the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Wow, here we find it again. The law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God. How do we get the righteousness of God, church? Do I have to say anything more? So, let me ask the question. Let me ask the question. Shall all the righteous put up your hand? Amen. Do you understand righteousness this morning? Yeah. Do we need the law? Yes. yes. But the law is God's standard. And I'm going to continue maybe next week just to go a little bit further into the law. And just to talk about the law. But what I want to show you is 100% how the law actually has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm. Have we learned something today? Yes. I pray so. I pray so in Jesus' name. Amen.